Twitter, and Apple. What's the deal? That's what Chet and Gary discussed today. Let's go! Good morning, Chet. How are you today? I'm doing good, Gary. How about yourself? Fantastic. Did you get your Christmas tree up? What? What? Your, your Christmas tree? <laughs> oh, not I'm a, enjoying everybody else's. Not a Scrooge. Uh, the uh, Model Train Club uh, got the Christmas tree around, or the train around the bottom of the Christmas tree over in the North Clubhouse, so that's that's as, about as far as I can go. So you can visit that whenever you want to right. get in the holiday spirit. All right. Well, today let's talk about uh, Twitter. Twitter's got a new owner. Yes. Uh, it uh, has gotten a lot of um, a lot of conversation lately. Yes, uh, that's an understatement. There's been a lot of controversy about some leaked material lately. Um, I don't know that it was leaked. I think it was deliberately released. I think you're right. But anyway, I'm going to just turn this over to you a little bit, and I want to get your thoughts on uh, the new ownership, uh, the way it's being run now, and uh, where you think it's going to go from here. Well, I, actually, uh, I'm uh, really happy with the way things are going at this point in time because it looks like there's a real conscious effort to try to get some transparency and honesty, honesty back into everything. Um, and some of the information is starting to come out about especially uh, Hunter Biden and his laptop and some of the things that where information was suppressed I was looking at a chain of messages that another website or another YouTube video producer actually was going through and explaining some of the comments that were made in them. You know, talking about this whole thing of removing from Twitter and actually blocking the people who put messages out concerning that prior to the last presidential election. That kind of stuff is very frightening. So uh, I think Elon Musk is, is doing a great job of trying to get this thing open and straightened back out. But the other side of it is there seems to be some controversy going on between Apple and Elon Musk and Twitter. And the, the stories are running all over the place. And I, I heard some stuff yesterday that sounds like maybe this is getting itself resolved. But it, it started out with... Uh, conversations along the lines of uh, Apple was threatening to uh, block the Twitter app from the App Store, remove it so that you couldn't have it on your devices, and uh, Elon Musk was threatening to build his own phone uh, in, in <laughs> light of that, uh, and uh, you know some of that kind of stuff. And that evolved in kind of an interesting way. Uh, and what I saw happen from my point of view was the, the stories about the confrontation between Twitter and Apple started to show up. And there was all this talk in the press and in the media about uh, Elon Musk building his own phone. You know, it was going to put the iPhone out of business and all the rest of this kind of nonsense. Um, and... Then it all of a sudden turned down to the fact, or uh, or turned around to the fact that it wasn't the fact that the Twitter app would be removed, but that if people use the Twitter app to make an in-app purchase 
of the $8 fee that Twitter is talking about to have you as a certified user, blue check, uh, blue checked uh, user, that uh, that 30% of that would have to be paid to Apple. Mm. Uh, And so it seemed to be more of a discussion coming up around whether or not you were going to be uh, or whether or not uh, Twitter wasn't going to have to pay 30% to Apple, which, of course, is uh, the, the case. But it, it, the way it was put out in a lot of the press and media was that Apple is suddenly charging a new 30% tax. <laughs> and this isn't the case at all. Uh, this uh, started with the uh, very first version of the App Store. App Store right. uh, and it, anybody that has written an app for Apple understands this completely. Apple basically said that we're going to run the App Store. We'll manage all of the process of verification of applications, of making sure that they can be discovered by users, uh, that they can be downloaded, installed, and updated when necessary on users' devices. We'll handle all of that for you, and for that we charge you 30% of whatever you're charging the customer. Now, if you put an app out for free, then Apple doesn't get anything for that because you're not charging the customer for anything. You pay Apple 30% of whatever you charge the customer. And a lot of controversy came about with the in-app purchases, where you basically said, you can download the app for free, but after you put five things into the app, if you want to put a sixth thing in, then you have to pay us. Right. And that's considered an in-app purchase. And then uh, that's where a lot of people, a lot of developers started to push back against Apple big time and say, wait a minute, um, the app was free. Why are you charging me for the in-app purchases? And so a lot of stuff has been going on there. And I know there are some policies, but I don't know all the rules around them for you paying a, a lower percentage for in-app purchases for some portion of the in-app purchases. Uh, so I don't know exactly what it was. I heard somebody uh, in in the media talking about if you spend, if you made more than a million dollars a year, then everything was 30%. Uh, I have no idea what all the current rules are. I'm not up to speed on those. But this whole idea of paying 30% for apps to be in the App Store has been there all along. This is sure. nothing new. Uh, this is something that anybody that has written an app for the iPhone or the iPad understands. You'll find very, very few free apps anymore. Uh, I mean, they all seems like they all require in-app purchases. In-app purchases, it, yeah. And if you want really the full features of the app, you'll have to do that. So yes. You just get kind of like a bones. Uh, well, and that's not bad because that gives you a chance to try it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. You can find out what it's what it's all about. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you that the, the developers knew when they signed on with Apple. Uh, you know, all they had to basically do was develop the app. Everything else was handled by That's Apple. That's right. So they, t- you know, they agreed to take a 30% hit for that for them to manage all that back end. So, um, and it, it just seems like that's been going on for years, and it just oh, seems yeah. like it's a big, it's a big subject now. With yeah, all of a sudden it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah because uh, you know you get, you're getting some pushback from other people, but uh, that same pushback has happened uh, by a number of uh, vendors and and so forth, and they were been upset about the fact. In fact, I think there was a uh, legal action taking place in the European Union about the fact that uh, you could only install apps on an iPhone or an iPad from the App Store. And uh, there were a whole lot of people that were very concerned that that was discrimination and monopolistic uh, principles and so forth. And Apple's point of view, and I think it's perfectly valid, is that 
when you as a developer create an app and you submit that to Apple to be put in this store, Apple vets the app. They actually look at your written documentation, they run the app to ensure that it does what your documentation says and it does not do anything your documentation doesn't say. Which means they're looking for viruses and worms and Trojan horses and all the other nasty things in there. Um, the Google Play Store, when it first came online, did not have that vetting going on. And almost everything that was in the Google Play Store at one point in time had a virus or a Trojan horse embedded in it. And they had to go back and start checking those apps over. Uh, I don't think they do the same level of detail that Apple does. But Apple actually looks at the libraries that are included in the build of your application uh, to ensure that you're using legitimate libraries and not uh, libraries that are known to have bugs and, and other problems in them. Uh, so from that standpoint, it's also a benefit to the end user. But I, I look at that and say, you know, I remember back, remember what was it, Circuit City or something mm -hmm. like Circuit that? City, you, right. Circuit City and some of those. H.H. Greg. Yeah, yeah, well, you walk into those stores and there'd be a, uh, several racks full of computer software you could buy to put <laughs> on your machines at home full of uh, DVDs or mm -hmm. floppy drives. Uh, and the, the prices ranged from 250 to six or seven hundred dollars and you take them home and spend hours putting these things and put in these great big massive codes and it wouldn't work and then you had to get on the phone and figure out what it was. <laughs> you remember all that? Now oh, yeah. what, what, what are we talking about now? Two dollars, three dollars, yep. maybe ten dollars for something that's, that's really big oh, and yeah. uh, you know so I look at this and say okay guys <laughs> <laughs> I don't see anything but goodness that came out of this whole mess all the way along. And a, a lot of, uh, you know, especially Adobe, I mean, they've gone to subscription services. They no yes. longer even sell their the, seat, the DVDs or whatever you had to download. They don't even do that any longer. It's just a pure subscription service. I, I think that's a different problem, though. Oh, it's a different problem. Uh, because yeah. of the fact that, um, and, and I ran across this when I was working with some other people, uh, we were looking at actually building an app for the iPhone and talking about how we would uh, fund the, uh, the operation and so forth. And it's an interesting problem. If I charge you $200 for an application, I get a thousand customers that may be, pay me $200, and that's great. And you're stagnant. I'm stagnant. Right. That's right. I don't get any additional money. So what happens if I want to develop my app and it may cost me uh, more to actually put the next version of the app out than the original version cost? Where does that money come from? I have to get that many new customers. Mm -hmm. Where if I have a subscription model, I get a monthly revenue stream that right. I am absolutely dependent upon. I know exactly how much money my company now gets in and I can then set my costs and operating fees and everything else up around that sure you can plan for the future you can it. plan for the future on that and when you go to the bank and ask for money or investments or anything like that uh investors look at that and say oh okay you've got a revenue stream that's bringing you in x number of dollars every month uh, we can see that that's good great for you and and uh, on you go so that that's why i think most companies are now looking at subscription fees uh, as opposed to one-time fees. Well, it's, it's a smart business move, no doubt. I mean, before, even when they charged you for the, the, the disc to install, they would give you free upgrades whenever yes. they did that. So, I mean, they weren't getting any extra money for the upgrades. That's so, right. 
Yeah, you were really getting a deal when you got to this. So yeah, it's a good business model. I can't fault them for it. I mean, you, everybody's here to make money, right? So <laughs> not in. Well, and I, I think in a lot of cases that, yeah, we need to make money. Uh, it costs us money to live in the society that we live in. Uh, it's not a free society. But at the same time, you're looking at the expertise of the people that develop the software. And uh, having spent 45 years of my life writing software and being a software architect and, and so forth, the problem with software is that if you're going to do it right, it's not an engineering exercise. Mm -hmm. It's not a manufacturing exercise. It's an art form. Mm -hmm. And the people that are good at it make an awful lot of money. Sure. And there's a reason for that. Right. You know, uh, so... and. Uh, I'm curious to see what's going to happen as we shift this uh, paradigm from handwritten code to uh, the artificial intelligence neural network training environment uh, and, and what that's going to do to it. That's going to change the complexion. It's going to become a case of who has the best examples to train it on. <laughs> yeah, it's, going to, it's getting real interesting with that artificial intelligence, all, so, the, all the things that they're, they're doing with that now. It's that and it's just what they've come, what we're experiencing now like with artificial intelligence 3d printing oh yeah where you can actually print up a like if you're a veterinarian you can print up a, a splint for a dog leg or something yeah. out of plastic and, and it's just amazing so anyway well i think with that we just about got our uh, our thoughts out for the day and uh, looking forward to our our party next week our christmas dinner um, and next Monday, hopefully, uh, we've uh, invited some of the new officers to hang around after a meeting we're having, and uh, and hopefully that uh, we they will hang around, and uh, you folks can uh, get a little introduction to them. So, so um, be sure to tune in next week. Thanks for the listen, and we're out of here. Have a great morning, Chet. And we'll talk to everybody next week. Mm -hmm.